What Trump really wants here is a permanent fight. He needs a crisis. He needs to be involved in a battle. That is all that keeps his base together. Mm-hmm. Sounds about right. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. With From you. Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego. 99.5 in Ridgecrest and China Lake. Also heard in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI. Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ. Cottage Grove's KSO. Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI. Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN. Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR. In New Orleans on WHIV. Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Goldendale, Washington's KVGD, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Got a lot to get to, Um, of course, as usual over the weekend, a lot of news. But there was a big development late on Friday in the election integrity and security world, which, frankly, based on the paucity of coverage in the corporate media since then over this uh, on on what is, as I see, a very troubling turn of events. uh, You will probably hear about this for the very first time on today's program. Maybe even the very last time on today's program. (laughs) I don't know. Well, I doubt it'll be the last time, but anyway. In short, uh, you know those computer touchscreen ballot marking devices or BMDs that we have been warning you about uh, for so long on this program? As jurisdictions across the country from Georgia to Delaware to Texas to Ohio to Pennsylvania to, yes, out here in L.A. County that, that they're rushing to move to before 2020, well... Two pretty huge security issues have now been identified on at least uh, one of those systems, maybe on more, that has resulted as a Friday in New York State election director demanding an investigation and potentially decertification of one of these systems that was already certified by the state after it was discovered That, well, after printing out the voter's selection on the paper ballot and after the voter reviewed the uh, the computer marked computer marks on that uh, paper ballot and supposedly approved and verified it, the system can then print additional 
votes on the ballot without the voter ever knowing it, much less approving it, much less verifying it, etc. So it's a virtual ballot stuffing. It allows you to add some votes and the voter never sees that. It does indeed. You'd think that would be troubling. And those systems have already been approved by New York and they may be approved uh, elsewhere across the country. Uh, They actually have been approved elsewhere across the country. For example, hello, Kansas. Anyway, we will be joined momentarily by one of the computer scientists who helped identify and confirm this serious vulnerability uh, in these brand new devices now being marketed hard across the country for voters to use in the sort of crucial 2020 presidential election. And New York seems to have noticed, uh, but will the state of Georgia, will the state of Kansas, will Pennsylvania, uh, Georgia, their legislature is now voting on moving to this very uh, type of system. Anyway, we'll speak with uh, Professor Rich DeMillo of Georgia Tech's Information Security Center about all of this momentarily. He helped uh, identify this serious flaw, we'll call it. In these voting systems. Uh, but first, speaking of tw- of the 2020 election, the Trump administration on Monday laid out their priorities for next year and, as they hope, for their second term in office, uh, if things go well for them, with their budget proposal for 2020, which they have now submitted to Congress. You heard Lloyd Doggett there from a Democrat from Texas at the top of the show. He's the chair, I believe, of the Ways and Means Yes, House Committee. Ways and Means Committee where all such budgets must uh, go through for uh, appropriations, etc., as they uh, become finalized. Well, President Trump proposed a $4.7 trillion budget plan on Monday as a sharp challenge to Congress and the Democrats trying to unseat him in 2020. And as you heard Lloyd Doggett uh, say there, Trump needs a fight. He wants to fight. That's the only thing that holds his base together is a fight, a fight about something. A fight about anything. That's the only thing that keeps his base activated and agitated enough to continue fighting for him. Desi Doyen, as usual, is correct. (laughs) In any event, uh, as the Post report, Washington Post reports, the plan would dramatically expand spending on programs and initiatives popular with Republicans, such as $750 billion in new defense spending and $8.6 billion for barriers. Yes, that infamous border wall on the Mexico border, which yet again, Mexico apparently is still not paying for. At the same time as that, it would uh, the uh, proposed budget from Trump would slash spending on Medicare, Medicaid, food stamps, Environmental protection. I know you're delighted about that, Desiree. (laughs) And a range of other programs that Democratic presidential candidates vowed to protect and to expand. And I should note here, as you may recall, that Trump, when he was a candidate in 2016 originally, uh, he had vowed to not make any cuts to Medicare if he was elected. Remember that? So much for that, I guess. Uh, This proposal... Uh, ran into an immediate buzzsaw on Capitol Hill. Many Democrats flatly rejected it, calling it uh, dead on arrival. Even some Republicans were distancing themselves from this, at least parts of it. The demand for $8.6 billion for a border wall just two months after 
The 35-day uh, federal government shutdown paralyzed much of Washington, raises the possibility that there could be an even more dramatic impasse if a spending deal is not reached on this by the end of September when a a new budget for the next year must be approved or we would once again face another government shutdown. Top White House officials acknowledge that lawmakers routinely dismiss these Budget proposals coming from the White House, which are often seen as aspirational when they come from the president, from any president. But they signaled a willingness on Monday to fight harder this year than they have in the past. The White House we're talking about. It also gives us, the American people, an idea of what the president's priorities are, what he cares about, why he should be his case for why he should be reelected. In case there was any question with this president about what he stands for and what he wants as we prepare to head into an election year. Trump's so-called budget for a better America features dozens of spending cuts and policy overhauls, total spending on Medicare, the popular health care program for the elderly that in the past he has said he would protect. In fact, he would reduce it by roughly $845 billion over 10 years. His budget would also propose a major over overhaul of Medicaid, the health care program for low-income Americans, uh, which is run jointly with states. He would turn over a whole bunch of power to run Medicaid over to the states in so-called uh, block grants to the states, which Republicans have been trying to do for years. And just to remind you that yeah. Medicaid doesn't just help out people who are poor with their own health insurance. It also covers 80 percent of senior citizens in the United States. It yep. covers 80 percent of those senior citizens living currently in nursing homes right now. The idea of opening Medicaid to block grants to states or a related idea that would create per-person funding caps your cancer treatment uh, cost too much. Sorry, you ran out of Medicaid. Best of luck, sucker. That's sort of what the uh, the the uh, Republican proposal here is. Uh, this would be a fundamental alteration of the way this program has worked since it began in the 1960s as part of the war on poverty. And it has always provided uh, each state a share of funding for anyone who is eligible. As much as needed, you know, in each case. The new Trump budget, however, calls for caps. It would limit the program's growth to the pace of inflation. And the reason that is a problem is because health care uh, tends to health care costs tend to rise much faster than does the consumer price index, which would be tied to the expansion of Medicaid under this plan. So, in fact, that would end up putting a squeeze on the public insurance system known as Medicaid that covers tens of thousands of poor and vulnerable people and, as Desi notes, uh, elderly people. Children, the disabled. It calls for Trump's plan calls for a cut of nearly one point five trillion dollars in Medicaid over 10 years. One point five trillion. Now, much of that money would be moved to a new so-called market-based health care grant. That, uh, that's the block grants. Those would begin in 2021 under Trump's plan. So that's a cut of about $250 billion right there, if my numbers are right, to the Medicaid program. So he's not protecting Medicare. He's not protecting Medicaid. 
It would also eliminate funding for the Medicaid expansion program under the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. Uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi described this uh, budget as, quote, cruel and short-sighted and a roadmap to a sicker, weaker America, even with the cuts in uh, Trump's budget to social programs for Americans, if, if not to the defense contractors and wall builders. The spending plan predicts annual deficits will top one trillion dollars from 2019 through 2022. That's annual deficit. That means annually we'll be adding one trillion dollars year after year after year to our already existing debt. Republicans apparently are just fine with that. Keep that in mind. Once uh, Democrats are in a position where they can actually spend some money and we're told how anything they want to do is going to blow a hole in the deficit and the debt. A number of federal agencies, particularly the Environmental Protection Agency, State Department, Transportation Department, Education and Interior, would all see their budgets severely reduced under Trump's plan. The budget was full of provisions, however, that Republicans have long embraced but had not been uh, able to put forward on such a scale. It would impose mandatory work requirements for millions of people who receive welfare assistance, including for food and for housing. Get to work, old lady. Slacker. Uh, this would also, however, in dramatically increase the defense budget to $750 billion next year alone. That's a 5% increase from the already record defense spending of 2019. The, the uh, deficits uh, will add to the $22 trillion debt uh, occurring now. And as I said, uh, it'll be a $1.1 trillion deficit in 2019, in 2020, in 2021, etc., 2022. The White House now projects the government will spend $482 billion on interest payments for the debt uh, next year. That is more than the entire budget for Medicaid, by the way. So uh, a plan that would create $4.3 trillion in new debt over four years, according to The Washington Post, could give Democrats fresh targets on the campaign trail, given that Republicans have for years pretended uh, that they were concerned about deficits and excessive debt. Uh, defense hawks on Capitol Hill, however, are uh, delighted about a potential budget increase for the Pentagon. It also provides funding for the creation of Space Force. Uh, this would be uh, Trump's new branch of the military. Uh, he has uh, personally been pushing these ideas even while running into some resistance from military leaders and from Republicans in Congress who don't believe we need a space force. Well, you know, the Air Force already has one. Exactly. It's the U.S. Space Command, I think right. is what it's called. It's already there. It's right. already funded. It's already doing all that but work. But he came up with the idea for using the the name Space Force and you know, wants to have some legacy other than disaster, anxiety, and shame. So oh. he's going with Space Force. <laughs> In addition to the um, the deadline coming up at the end of September of this year to reach a spending deal in Congress, and this is sort of the first step, 
Uh, lawmakers are also going to have to reach an agreement to raise the debt ceiling again right around the same time. Deja vu, anybody? The government is bumping up against the debt limit already, and the Treasury Department has already instituted emergency steps to buy more time so Congress can eventually vote to raise it. All of that, I should remind you, because there's a whole lot less money coming into government coffers thanks to the GOP Donald Trump tax cut of $1.5 trillion, going mostly to rich people and corporations. So all of this debt and deficit, I mean, this is coming from uh, Republicans who have made it worse, not just by spending, but by cutting the, the taxes that actually pay for these things that they want. Several lawmakers have said they expect uh, the debt ceiling to be raised as part of a broad, uh, uh, broader budget deal this summer or this fall. What could possibly go wrong? They're planning on doing it all at the same time. Fantastic. Can't imagine what could possibly go wrong. This always goes very smoothly. Uh, If budget talks bog down later this year amid a fight over border wall funding, don't forget, we now have, along with the, uh, the, you know, being able to pass a budget and raise the debt ceiling, we now have, will have a fight built into it over funding Donald Trump's border wall. So uh, if that all bogs down, uh, this could force lawmakers to rethink this timeline and their entire approach to dealing with the next fiscal cliff we all may be headed over. But hey, uh, speaking of deja vu all over again, over the last few days, it has suddenly felt like, I don't know, like 2006, 2007, 2008 All over again, at least for me, as uh, Congress has once again allocated millions of dollars for states uh, over the past uh, year or so to, quote, unquote, upgrade their voting systems in advance of the 2020 presidential election. And as serious security flaws are now once again being discovered in the computer voting systems that have been certified by the U.S. Elections Assistance Commission, the EAC, And by states around the country, we're finding these flaws that were not discovered in the certification process all over again. I mean, that's a deja vu for those of us who have been covering this beat for years now. And I realize that there's not a lot of us who have been. But this feels exactly like what we saw 10 years ago. The systems come out. The states pay for them uh, with federal money tens, hundreds of millions of dollars, and then they find out what many of us have been warning, that, hey, these systems are not secure. And then more deja vu, the response from the voting vendors, the voting system companies, after it's revealed that they did not bother to do much, if any, security testing of these new systems. Well, that is deja vu as well. The way they respond, the way they lie about it. So guess what? Here we go again. A serious vulnerability. Two of them, in fact, uh, have been that we've been trying to warn about uh, in so-called voter verifiable paper ballot systems. That's a very deceptive way of, of, of describing what are actually computer-marked ballot systems. They're not voter-marked. They are not hand-marked ballot systems. But two very serious security vulnerabilities are now finally being acknowledged, at least in the state of New York. We'll talk about that next with Georgia Tech's professor, 
Rich DeMillo, who was instrumental in documenting these uh, new vulnerabilities in New York and elsewhere. He'll be here to explain what they are and if states like Georgia will take them seriously or if Republicans and voting vendors in that state still intend to forge ahead with their plan to purchase $150 million worth of these systems, these vulnerable and unverifiable voting systems before the next presidential election. That's coming up next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free broadcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. We are back in the New York groove where the uh, state for years now approves electronic voting systems that only later are found to have serious design flaws. But hey, uh, good news today, sort of. We finally found an election official willing to take at least a few of the many months and years of many different warnings that we have been offering about the security vulnerabilities and unverifiability of touchscreen computer ballot marking devices or BMDs uh, taking that seriously. In fact, he's taking them so seriously that he has now, as of this past weekend, effectively decertified an entire BMD system made by Dominion Voting across the entire state of New York. In a memo released late last week from Doug Kellner, the co-chair of the New York State Board of Elections, Kellner writes, two respected professors of computer science have provided reports that the Dominion Image Cast Evolution, or ICE, voting machine has a, quote, design flaw. Andrew Appel, the Eugene Higgins Professor of Computer Science in the Department of Computer Science at Princeton University, has written, quote, after you mark your ballot, after you review your ballot, the voting machine can print more votes on it. Kellner was citing from a blog that Appel posted at the uh, uh, Freedom to Tinker site in October of last year that we tried to bring attention to uh, at the time. Richard DeMillo, the Charlotte B. and Roger C. Warren Distinguished Professor of Computing in the Department of Computer Science at the Georgia Institute of Technology, has opined that Professor Appel has identified, quote, a vulnerability in Dominion's ICE and that absent a thorough and convincing design and code review, there is no way to be confident that the system is immune from the ballot stuffing attack he describes. 
Kellner goes on to note that uh, state election law requires the state board of elections to examine and approve each type of voting machine or voting system before it can be used in New York state. And in particular, he says that uh, the code requires that the vendor shall identify each potential point of attack. And for each potential a point of attack on their system, the vendor shall identify the technical safeguards embodied in the voting system to defend against that attack. Kellner goes on to write that he carefully reviewed the documentation from the company which makes the systems. That would be Dominion Voting Systems. They're a Canadian firm that purchased both the Sequoia Voting Systems Company as well as many of the assets from the now defunct Diebold Election Systems Company. And that Dominion did not include the point of attack or threats identified by Professor Appel and DeMillo when they gave this to state investigators to uh, certify their systems. Moreover, Kellner finds that certification testing of the hardware and software by two different firms both failed to identify or address the vulnerabilities that were described by Professors Appel and DeMillo. Kellner writes in his memo to the State Board of Elections that every expert regarding computer security recognizes that it is literally impossible to prevent all potential threats of the installation of malware that could alter the operation of equipment of equipment used to count votes. One of the principal mitigations to these malware threats, however, is the audit of voter verified paper ballots. If there is a serious possibility that an insider could install malware that could program the printer to add marks to a ballot without the possibility of verification by the voter, then the entire post-election audit process is compromised and circumvented. If it was possible for the machine to add a voting mark to the ballot without verification by the voter, the audit is not meaningful because it cannot confirm that the ballot was counted in the manner intended by the voter. In view of the omission of the security threats identified by Professors Appel and DeMillo in the submission by Dominion in support of its application for certification, uh, Kellner writes, these uh, systems need to be examined once again before they can be used in an actual election in the great state of New York. Now, the particular feature of concern on the Dominion ImageCast, uh, ImageCast Evolution System, or ICE, is similar to one that is also used on another ballot marking device made by the nation's largest voting systems vendor. That would be ES&S. They have been lobbying election officials in Georgia very hard for a new $150 million contract to replace Georgia's statewide 100% unverifiable touchscreen systems with an all-new 100% unverifiable touchscreen ballot marking device, despite repeated warnings from cybersecurity and voting systems experts that these systems are vulnerable to attack and cannot be known to have been accurately verified by any voter after an election is over. Once again, making any so-called post-election audits completely meaningless, as noted in a recent warning letter to Georgia from UC Berkeley professor Phil Stark, the man who actually invented the so-called post-election risk-limiting audit protocol that a number of jurisdictions who are now moving to these systems, despite the warnings, 
uh, a number of them hope to use uh, with their new computer-printed vulnerable ballot-marking device systems. Election integrity advocate and journalist Jenny Cohn is describing the security flaws finally acknowledged by the state of New York as hashtag Dieselgate as a nod to the Volkswagen scam where they were caught having uh, programmed their car software to behave one way during emissions testing in the shop, but another way after the cars had left the shop. Writing on Twitter today, Jenny Cohn notes uh, one or more counties in Ohio, Pennsylvania, Texas, Kansas, New Jersey, and Delaware have already bought or chosen these diesel gate ballot marking devices, which were misleadingly characterized as paper ballot systems. This, she says, is what Brian Kemp, the new governor and former secretary of state of Georgia, wants for his state. She adds, demand hand-marked paper ballots instead. Well, this is a very big development uh, in the elections world, in the BMD world, at least as I see it, as uh, jurisdictions across the nation are now rushing to move to these new types of vulnerable and unverifiable voting systems in advance of the 2020 presidential election. That's even happening out here in Los Angeles County, the largest voting jurisdiction in the nation where we, too, are moving to these touchscreen ballot marking devices. At least it should be a big development. Let me put it that way. Uh, Joining us now to explain how big or uh, big it is or isn't and what exactly Professors Appel and DeMillo have found that has so alarmed at least New York State's election director is Professor Rich DeMillo, professor and former dean of computing at at, uh, Georgia Tech and director of its Information Security Center. Professor DeMillo, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Hi, Brad. I, uh, as I understand it, there are essentially two flaws that we're looking at here with these systems, with this sort of bi-directional printing system that they have. Uh, one uh, described by uh, Kellner and Appel that uh, prints more votes on the ballot after the, the voter has supposedly approved it. We'll get to the other one, which is called permission to cheat in a second. But can you uh, explain how does this scam scheme uh, ability work to print more votes on a ballot after it's been approved? So it's a, it's a design flaw. Um, what, they, what they have is, is a, a single device that marks the ballot and scans the, the ballot. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, just because of the way that they've designed this thing, there's a single path that the paper ballot travels uh, under the print heads and over the scanning, um, over the scanning heads, mm-hmm. and that path is bidirectional. Um, so, so what what Andrew was concerned about, and 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 what I think is 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 a real issue, mm-hmm. um, is the design flaw that makes it possible to to um, um, uh, to have the, the the paper ballot printed out, mm-hmm. verified by the reader, and then scanned. But in that scanning process, travel a second time undetected through the print heads. Uh, and and at, at, at that point, uh, you would be able to detect whether or not um, uh, the uh, lieutenant governor's race, mm-hmm. in the case of Georgia, for example, uh, had unmarked, um, unmarked choices and mark uh, the, uh, the ballot for the, the candidate of your choice. Um, so, so, so that's, that's an issue. Um, 
Well, let me, let, let me just make sure I understand that. So, in other words, the voter uses the touchscreen uh, to ch make their selections. Then the system prints the ballot so that they on onto a piece of paper. It marks their mm -hmm. choices, uh, spits it out a slot that they can look at, and then after they have looked at it and said, yeah, this is who I wanted to vote for, they then put it back into the same slot, runs back through the same printer, and then back into the scanner. And the concern is when it goes through that printer a second time, more votes could be added? Am I understanding? It's no, more, it's no, it's, it's no longer been verified by the voter. So, so the voter could have chosen because because the voter didn't like the candidate for public service commissioner, for example, to vote for no one. Uh -huh. uh, but the um, uh, but the machine could decide. Well, you know, we really like the uh, <laughs> uh, the Democratic candidate for for public service commissioner. We're just going to add that to every ten um, blank uh, public service commissioner choices that we see. And and there would be no way for well, certainly the voter couldn't verify it because it goes straight into the scanner. Would there be any way for? anybody to ever verify if the that uh, that sort of uh, system was used to add votes that were not verified no because the, the source document has now changed so the 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 uh, the voter has verified um, what he thought was the source document mm -hmm. the, the stuff that 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 he marked uh, and that's now been scanned and altered but never shown to the um, to the voter again so as far as the voter knows the vote was cast as, as as he intended or she intended, wow. uh, but the vote that gets counted is something completely different. <laughs> Which is just kind of mind-blowing that this would have uh, not been noticed in the initial certification, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, uh, Professor DeMillo, the second concern here that uh, Andrew Appel from uh, Princeton identified also last year, what uh, he described as the permission to cheat feature. Can you describe that one? Yeah, that's... that's um that's a prosaic way of, uh, of describing a feature that these machines have called autocast. Mm -hmm. um, the autocast feature uh, allows a voter um, or uh, maybe even a, an election official mm -hmm. uh, to, to have the vote be cast without showing it to the, um, the voter for verification. So at the end of the voting process, there's a, an option that says, would you like to review this or would you just like to go ahead and cast it as is? And you have you have the choice to cast it as is. And it, it, essentially, as I understand what uh, Andrew is saying, that at that point, you're telling the computer that, hey, I don't need to review the ballot. Just go ahead and print it up and scan it any way you like, essentially. Yeah, I, I think the intention was uh, if the voter is visually disabled, mm -hmm. um, uh, showing the voter the, the, the paper ballot is probably um, not a helpful step. And so why don't we just allow the, the, the voter to say, uh, I believe that you're going to cast my vote properly and, and hit the autocast button. Mm -hmm. uh, that That is a permission to cheat feature. I mean, I can't believe that uh, there is such a feature that would allow, that would essentially tell the machine hey, I'm not going to look at this paper ballot anyway. Go ahead and mark it any way you want. Uh, now, in New York, the systems must be re-examined here, the ICE system made by Dominion, uh, before they can be used in elections there, as, as I understand it. Uh, but with two different firms, Rich, uh, who had already examined these systems before they were certified by the state, and I believe also by the Federal Elections Assistance Commission, how can it be that neither of those firms... Uh, or the original company, Dominion, that no, nobody identified those flaws until now. Well, um, you, you would have to speculate about about how, 
how they looked at the design of, of these systems. They're, they're not um, they're not systems that are designed um, to um, to lean forward into into security. Mm-hmm. And, and so and so they and and the Dominion um, executives freely admit this. They're, they're looking for a balance between accessibility uh, uh, and security. Uh, and um, I've never quite understood that argument. If, if if you have an accessible system that that it's insecure, then it doesn't matter who votes and who doesn't vote. Um, mm. But but the, um, um, the 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 idea that that you would have uh, a security subsystem, a trusted component of the of the software that was running on the ballot marking device, on the on the on the hybrid uh, marking device mm-hmm. that would be checking things that were easily selectable by an end user is ba- a basic um, design um, principle for secure systems. Uh, I'm not aware that these systems do that. Um, you know, they're, they're proprietary systems. We don't really get to see inside uh, what, goes, what goes on. But, but the fact that, um, that they didn't anticipate that this would be a vulnerability, I think, uh, says that, that they didn't have that kind of security in mind when they designed the system. Now, Dominion uh, calls uh, you. They, they've responded to what happened on Friday because this is a big deal in, in New York where uh, these systems have been certified and, and around the country. Well, actually, let me ask you, do, is this a big deal that uh, a uh, board of elections like this has essentially uh, decertified uh, a system pending a new investiga- a new examination by uh, uh, security uh, professionals? I think I think it's a pretty big deal. The um, the the idea it's not quite decertification. What they what they've done is they've turned it back to the the, the board of elections, and, mm-hmm. and the board could conceivably ignore it um, uh, and, um, and allow the systems to be uh, to be used. But the the law in New York seems to me to be pretty clear um, that it's the responsibility of the vendor to respond to uh, credible vulnerabilities that are um, are raised with with some. Um, with some engineering response, um, and the engineering response could be a piece of software that they can point to, or it could be a set of operational procedures that would that would maintain security even if there was an exploit that um, that attacked that particular vulnerability. And and um, we'll have to see what Dominion does, but but those are really the options available to them. Dominion has responded to all of this by calling, uh, I guess, you and Professor Appel and the other cybersecurity experts warning against these systems. Uh, they've called you, quote, security maximalists. I don't know if you should be proud of that uh, label or not, uh, Rich, but, but your response to uh, Dominion describing you as a security maximalist. It, w- it wouldn't be my first response to finding out um, that I had a vulnerability in one of my principal <laughs> products, but but I, I understand there are T-shirts being printed up with "I'm a security maximalist" on it, so uh, that that's okay with me. Okay, well, there's that at least, and we can uh, help raise some money to uh, for the, for the fight in Georgia to try to not move to these systems down there. Listen, this occurs to me, and and we mentioned it when we chatted a little bit over the weekend, Rich, that. This response from Dominion, uh, you know, sort of marginalizing the concerns, denying various uh, security concerns and so forth, casting blame. This is deja vu all over again, at least for me. The last time there were hundreds of millions of dollars uh, allocated by uh, Congress to new voting systems about 10 or 15 years ago, we saw the exact same thing. They would put out systems that weren't well tested, 
and security flaws were found. The companies would deny or deflect. If there are, I guess the question is, why don't they have folks like you or Andrew Appel or Alex Halderman or Harry Hursty or so many of these folks who consistently find these huge security flaws in their systems? Why don't they hire you in advance to uh, look for these flaws instead of waiting until they're certified and, and out and being used in elections? Well, you know, I, I spent a lot of years in industry um, mm-hmm. building products, um, not like these, but, but building I, uh, IT products. And, and so I'm, I'm kind of um, keenly aware that, that every uh, engineering headcount that you add to, to a product development team increases the cost mm-hmm. of, the, um, of the product. And, and uh, the, the voting machine companies are already running on razor-thin margins. Uh, they, they simply do not like the idea of increasing engineering costs. And security is a big cost. Uh, in, in order to do the security game well, um, you have to be plugged into, um, uh, you have to be plugged into the, um, the security ecosystem. Mm-hmm. In, in Washington, you have to be willing to, um, to publicize vulnerabilities uh, in, your, um, in your system. You have to be able to, to go in and re-engineer parts of the system that don't work the way that you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they note that that raises the price of their, of their end product. So I, I, I get why they're reluctant to do that, and, and I, I think it's it's a business risk on on their part um, to um, to make this kind of a balance. But but that would be the the consequence. So if, if they hired um, you know Harry Hursty um, mm-hmm. as a um, as a QA consultant or, mm-hmm. or, or an engineer, um, they would have to they would have to raise the prices of their systems. Which um, is a plausible explanation, uh, Rich, except going back uh, for years on this and covering this beat, I have seen time and time again where, you know, within 24 hours of access by independent experts like Hari, like yourself, uh, to these systems, they immediately identify security flaws. So I, I, I understand it would raise the cost, but you know what? Hiring Rich DeMillo for one week to look at our systems can't raise the costs that much when we're talking about, you know, in Georgia alone. This is a $150 million contract they're looking at, and that really is a, a minimum for what it may cost the state of Georgia if they go to these systems. Yeah, it's a big deal. Um, the, the the Georgia purchase um, is um, just just to give you some some conception of size. Mm-hmm. It's it's half of the U.S. market. Uh, so 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 the Georgia purchase will be half of the U.S. market <clears throat> voting machine um, technology um, once it's done. Because they use um, so many of these systems in the in the precincts rather than because just we 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 in Georgia purchase these things centrally. Most most of the country has a very decentralized uh, uh-huh. election system. Counties uh, are are left to to uh, to choose their own products within some constraints that are set in the Secretary of State's office at the st- at the state level. But in Georgia, it's centrally managed. And so, even if uh, ESNS in this case were to re- uh, respond to these particular concerns about this bi-directional paper path that would allow it to, you know, print after the voter has already uh, 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 verified the vote, even if they did away with that and used a different system that simply computer marked the paper ballots and then the voter walked over to a different area of the room and put the ballot into a scanner, would that alleviate 
It would alleviate this one concern, but it wouldn't alleviate the greater concerns about computer-marked paper ballots. Am I correct? It, you're exactly right. So, so if they if they were to logically or physically separate the printing and the scanning process, they would take care of this particular issue. You could audit the um, um, the um, the output of the printer and mm-hmm. the input of the scanner, uh, and 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 make sure that that things hadn't been um, hadn't been changed. Of course, the problem with that is security is not about printing and scanning. It's about people voting and having their votes counted. And that's what, what we call an end-to-end process. So, mm-hmm. so, so this fixes one little glitch inside the end-to-end process. Um, but but what, uh, what happens in, in a, a post-election audit is that you audit the, the endpoints. You audit what the voter did mm-hmm. and, and what, got, um, what got counted. And if you've, taken, if you've taken this middle portion out of the, of the equation, it still doesn't help you check the, the, uh, the end-to-end security of the system. Because at the end, you don't know if you're actually looking at what it was that the voter wanted in the middle. It's the, the source document for the auditing process is really key to this. The uh, state of New York, it seems at, at least, is, is taking this somewhat seriously. Uh, the state of Georgia, on the other hand, which uh, you know many other states look to before moving to new voting systems, as Marilyn Marks of the Coalition of Good Governance, she noted on this program, I think it was just last week, that a, a lot of the states look to Georgia. Uh, they're now about to vote on a move to these very systems before 2020. Have have they responded, uh, Rich? Have you uh, heard any uh, response to these newly acknowledged concerns out of New York? Any any response yet from the new Republican governor Brian Kemp in Georgia or his new Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger? Well, I've I've heard in, indirectly. They they wouldn't they wouldn't call me. In fact, I I, I just heard I was on a call a few minutes before mm-hmm. um, before we picked up that. Uh, um, that I'm I'm toxic on the on the Capitol, so 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 I'm not the kind of person that they would call to find out much of uh, of anything. I'm generally the person that brings them bad news. Well, because you're the you know the former dean of computing at Georgia Tech, so why would they want to talk to you about a computing issue? I guess as a computer tech guy who headed up the Department of Computing at Georgia Tech, is it is it wise to use any computer ballot marking uh, device, or is hand-marked paper ballots still the best way to go? Well, I, I think hand-marked paper ballots are, are the way to go. I, I, don't, I don't think that there's a very good argument um, that the added expense of a ballot marking device brings you increased functionality. Uh, and and, and when, you, when you purchase five ten thousand $10,000 at a crack, these machines that essentially are only fancy pencils, you have to ask yourself, wh- what is it that we're getting out of this? We're buying, uh, we're buying enhanced um, vulnerability because they're computers, uh, and computers are always vulnerable, uh, and we're not getting much uh, in, re- in return for that. The, the, the argument that they make is, is that uh, uh, ADA, uh, Americans um, with Disabilities Act, mm-hmm. access requires something other than... Um, than a handmarked paper ballot, which is true, um, but but they seem to have settled on these computerized ballot marking devices as the way to achieve them, and and that's been done with relatively little public discussion. And uh, it's one thing if it's done for uh, for voters who choose to use them because they're disabled and and they need them. It's another thing to make to force everyone in the precinct to use these systems. I've compared it to you know when we build a ramp or an elevator at City Hall. 
we don't tear out the stairs and make everybody use the ramp. So there's, uh, you know, no reason to force everyone to uh, to use these systems. It just seems like a boondoggle. I got to be uh, quite frank with you, Rich. And I'm hoping that the concerns that at least New York is uh, acknowledging now changes the game a little bit in Georgia. Every time we've had Marilyn Marks on this show, Rich DeMello, I say, uh, is this it? Is it over? Is it a done deal? Is Georgia going to these systems now? And she says, no, we're still fighting. We're still fighting. Uh, Do you get any sense that uh, what has happened over the past few days is actually changing the fight in Georgia? There's there's certainly an internal discussion um, in in the Capitol um, uh, about this. I, I I don't know if it's enough to change anyone's anyone's minds. People have gone to their tribal corners mm. uh, and uh, and and are, are defending uh, based on partisan credentials, not necessarily on the on the facts of the matter, which I think is not good for democracy. I agree, it is not. Richard DeMillo, the uh, professor of computing and the former dean of computing at Georgia Tech, where he directed the Georgia Tech Information Security Center. You can find uh, his work, of course, at DeMillo.com. And I highly, strongly recommend you follow him on the Twitters, where he is rad underscore ATL. Rich DeMillo, greatly appreciate you joining us again here today on the broadcast, my friend. Thank you, Brad. You bet. Okay, let's take a quick break here. Uh, Man, this is just maddening sometimes. Um, Again, deja vu all over again for for what's going on. In any event, moving on, moving forward by looking back at other warnings that we should have paid paid attention to for (laughs) years and years. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back with a warning from Bernie Sanders that we should have paid attention to decades ago. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com slash donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Now don't be sad Don't be sad Cause two out of three <laughs> That's right, welcome back to the Bradcast Brad Friedman from bradblog.com uh, We'll get to uh, two out of three uh, Not bad in a moment But I want to note that on Friday In the U.S. House Passing on a strictly party line vote, all Democrats in favor, all Republicans against H.R. 1, the For the People Act, the massive elections and ethics reform bill that passed on Friday. Speaking of uh, messaging in advance of 2020, we had Donald uh, Trump putting out his proposal this uh, today to give his messaging for 2020, what he believes in cutting severely cutting domestic programs and severely expanding uh, military and uh, money for his border wall. Well, uh, the uh, H.R. 1 messaging bill, if you will, from Democrats did pass on Friday in the Democratic-controlled U.S. House for automatic universal uh, voter registration, public financing of elections, make Election Day a federal holiday, 
the expansion of early voting, stopping mass voter purges, requiring independent redistricting commissions to avoid partisan gerrymandering, requiring every voter in America to be allowed to vote on a hand-marked paper ballot. That and much more in H.R. 1, which uh, Mitch McConnell has already said will never see the light of day in the U.S. Senate as long as he and Republicans are running the joint. So I just wanted to mention that passed on Friday. Also, last week, we gave a few well-deserved kudos to uh, last week to Washington governor and recently declared Democratic presidential hopeful Jay Inslee for his years, decades of warning about the dangers of climate change. Yeah. And which I think he deserved for being uh, oh, making yeah. noise about that over the years. Very early on. He's got a great book he wrote 10 years ago on how to do it. Out of fairness, however, uh, CNN's Andrew Kaczynski, otherwise known as K-File, dug up this gem from Bernie Sanders on C-SPAN from way back in February of 1989. We face, as all people know, an ecological crisis in our time, whether it's acid rain, the destruction of the ozone layer, the greenhouse effect. One would think that the CBSs and the NBCs of the world will be doing prime time specials on these programs, having different scientists, talking about the issues, involving people in understanding what's going on in terms of our planet. They don't. The function of television is to make as much money as possible for the owners of the television station and for those people who advertise the 30-second ads on television. So I would say that we're not going to bring about serious political change in this country until we deal with the media, which more and more is being swallowed up by large conglomerates. Very important issue. Yes, a very important issue uh, indeed. And Bernie <laughs> 1989. Sanders. 1989. Yeah, Bernie Sanders from 1989 sounds like Brad Friedman from <laughs> 2009 uh, warning about the same things, certainly when it comes to the media. But he named three things there that he called uh, described uh, part of an ecological crisis way back in 1989. Bernie Sanders was talking about acid rain, destruction of the ozone layer and the greenhouse effect, as he called it. Well, Desi, we've dealt with two out of three of those issues. <laughs> yes, we right? have. We're on our way to fixing them. Well, uh, till at least two of them. I'm not sure how we're doing on the greenhouse effect, but we have dealt with acid rain uh, and the ozone layer with uh, the, you know policies, cap and trade programs, uh, treaties, world treaties around the around the world. The greenhouse effect we're having a little bit more trouble dealing with. Um, <laughs> but anyway, kudos to Bernie on being on this since 1989. But after that K-File posting uh, over the weekend, the uh, group calling themselves People for Bernie followed up with an even older clip from 1987 with Bernie Sanders speaking to middle schoolers about, yes, climate change back when he was still the mayor of Burlington, Vermont. Some of you may have seen, there were some articles in the newspaper recently about the destruction of the ozone layer and the fact that the climate, the temperature on Earth may rise a few degrees. Is that significant? Is that just to mean that the summer will be a little bit warm, we can go swimming another day or two? Okay. Well, it's not, it doesn't seem significant, but if it gets like hardly any warmer, the polar ice caps could melt and like flood the Precisely. And us. The point being, that if you don't think that raising temperature a few degrees is an enormous consequence, you're very wrong. Because it has, it doesn't mean just that, oh boy, we're swimming a few more days. It means that the type of, of rays that come down from the sun will make us 
vulnerable to disease. It will have an impact on the polar caps in melting them. And it gets back to the, the point that she made, which is that everything relates to everything else. Okay, when that loudspeaker interrupted us, it relates to us. It relates to the conversation that we have. Everything relates to everything else. The environment is a very, very fragile system of interrelationships. And if one thing is disrupted, it'll have an effect on everything else. For example, if climate, if the raising of the temperature has an effect on drought, and I don't know that it will, but it might, and on the growing of food, and if, if pollution has an effect on water, what does it obviously mean? Yep. That like we're going to dehydrate. Well, obviously you can't live without fresh water. And as you know, in many areas of the country, now, now we live right here on the lake and we have a problem. I'll talk about in a second. But in many areas of the country, now water, you know, we take water for granted. It's not a big deal. But in many areas of the country, the availability of fresh drinking water is a major, major problem. And it is getting worse. Well, there you go. Bernie Sanders from 1987 talking to school kids about the dangers of, yes, climate change. Yes, he was right then. He's right now. In fact, all of the scientists are right that we need to get on the move and a deal with this now. Well, but he, I think, earned some serious cred going back now, what is that, 30 years? Yep. That he's been warning about this. So I just wanted to point that out since we gave uh, the kudos to Jay Inslee for being on it last yeah. week, running for president, out of an abundance of fairness. By the way, smart kids there talking about the polar ice caps melting. Yeah, they in, already uh, knew that. Bernie's class, wherever that was. All right, we got to get out. Uh, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen. To my guest today, Professor Rich DeMello of Georgia Tech, and to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It's always appreciated. You can, uh, if you missed any portion of today's show, I hope you will download it and share it and make noise for the next 30 years about it uh, <laughs> at bradblog.com, where you can download it for free. We uh, don't mind at all if you stop by bradblog.com slash donate while you're there to help Desi and I continue what we've been uh, doing for so many years and hope to continue doing, but only with your support at bradblog.com slash donate. You can drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, find, follow, and share us there as well. I am simply the Brad Blog. That is it for today. We'll be back again with you tomorrow. Until then, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.